I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Developer relations is a core component of platforms that allow developers to publish applications or games. Grace Francisco, VP of Developer Relations at Roblox, explained what developer relations is and different ways of interacting with creators. Roblox is the largest social platform for play. We talked about how to gather feedback from the community and the different stages of the development process. Grace also talked about growing up in the Bay Area and her early experiences with technology. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Blind for being a sponsor. Navigating the workplace can be a challenge. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers where they can talk about career development, corporate policies, workplace harassment, compensation, and more. Go to teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. That's teamblind.com. Thank you. Grace Francisco, VP of Developer Relations at Roblox, is joining us today. Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about several things, including Roblox and developer relations. But first, I wanted to talk a bit about your early beginnings. One thing that stood out when I was researching for this interview is that you played tennis when you were young, and you said you believe this helps with development in math and science. Can you talk about your experience in this? That's actually a lovely question because I've just been picking up my love for tennis again recently. I started playing tennis when I was seven. And as I was growing up, it just happened that I would play at the local neighborhood courts. And I often ended up playing against boys and I played team tennis in high school. And later on in my life, I was reading about how team sports actually can really benefit, especially girls in doing well in math and science, because it helps to boost confidence and also helps with really you know, understanding that competition is a good and healthy thing. And so for me, going into math and science, it didn't really occur to me you know, to consider that that was uh, a scary thing because it was just another competition to me, just like tennis was. And so It really built a passion and desire and fun into competing in all things, including math and science, where, you know, in those days, most professors were still men. And so it can be daunting for girls going to those kinds of classes to be competing and performing well in math and science because of male teachers and the dynamics that can happen in class. But for me, I really enjoyed those opportunities to excel and compete just like tennis. Exactly. Not to mention the health benefits of this. Absolutely, yes. You can play tennis for a lifetime. I've seen players play well into their 70s. My dad used to kill me on the course and he was in his early 70s. So yes, you can play for a lifetime. You were interested in computers from an early age. What was it like to use a computer when you were young? I know you grew up in the Bay Area, right? I did. I grew up in San Francisco. Boy, so... You know, it goes way back and I was using a green screen monitor and everything was text based back then. So it wasn't as exciting as using a computer today. I think if my kids were to look at what I was using back then, they would scoff at it (laughs) and maybe look at it, you know, for 
a few minutes and then move back to their, their computers right away. But, you know, back then it was amazing to be able to use something that helped you with, you know, calculation of formulas and to, you know, do very basic gaming even. So there was a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, DOS-based game that I used to play long, long time ago. And you would do things like pick up stick, turn left, and then, you know, the program would respond with what happened next. That was kind of exciting for back then. And, you know, clearly we've progressed well beyond that. But those were very interesting and early primitive times with computers. And this is also back in a day where we didn't have internet access at home. Internet was being researched and developed in academic and scientific you know, environments. And so access to that was very limited until I'd say, you know, mid nineties, maybe, but it was not home based access. It was just some limited, you know, corporate environments. And, you know, and the internet was kind of, it was not dynamic in any way. So uh, the, the access you had were static pages, but still it was a delight because, well, you're reaching this page that's hosted somewhere else in the world. And even though it was static, it was sort of an interesting experience. And I still remember way back then in those mid nineties, people would laugh about the idea of ever buying anything on the internet. Who would buy anything on the internet? Oh my God. <laughs> so it's really funny to look back at that time. Wow. Yeah. But it's hard to believe, actually. Yeah. I remember being early shopper and back to tennis. I was one of the early shoppers. I think it was Tennis Warehouse buying a tennis racket, you know, for, you know, really decent price back then. So, yes. And it came and it was a good tennis racket. And I went, okay, this can be done. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool. And one thing you mentioned just now is there wasn't really internet. We were missing on this collaboration. Looking back, the experience of working with a computer was pretty individual, right? Unless you were with several people in the room. That's right. It was a very individual-based activity. You know, the things that we talk about in you know, developer circles about uh, collaboration and version control and the way that we work today and being able to Slack someone and say, hey, you know, I, I need you to you know, co-review this thing that I have a pull request open in the Git repository. Those were not concepts at all back then. In fact, version control was pretty primitive back then as well and also very individual base and you would lock, you know, a portion of the code base and then have to sit and wait until that other developer was done with that part of the code. So very different times. And I want to talk a little bit about what you ended up doing next. You finished high school early. You left home at 17. Mm -hmm. Then during college, you landed a job at a startup in San Francisco. Can you talk what this was about, the startup and what you got exposed to? So you know, I worked my way through college off and on for actually 10 years. And in working in tech, I was very lucky. One of the first jobs that I landed was in a software startup, and it was FTP software. And back then, and this is a TCP IP vendor, TCP IP is a network layer that is now part of the OS. It wasn't back then. You had to buy that separately. And so there were competitors uh, specifically around TCP IP back then. And, you know, I was very lucky to be exposed to different departments there. And my role was largely administrative, but 
I was, you know, with a startup. So I got to help the IT admin swap motherboards and memory. And I was also able to participate in, you know, testing cycles. And that's where I really found my love for software development because I was surrounded by other engineers and they were very open and talking to me about what they were doing. And at the time I was already studying programming and that's where I thought, ah, wow, this is really what I want. Just seeing how they work, seeing how empowered coding really was for them and what in the work that they were doing that really inspired me and so I pursued that route pretty actively and you know a few jobs later at another place called back then it was subsidiary of IBM it was Lotus and they had just been recently acquired and I started a tech support role there I was literally in that tech support role for about three months in that time I had taught myself a little known scripting language called Lotus script and by sheer chance and lucky for me, they opened up an application engineering opportunity for someone who needed to do Lotus Script and HTML and JavaScript and a few other things in an application engineering role. And no one knew Lotus Script. I happened to be playing around within my you know, tech support role and I taught myself how to use it. So it was pretty easy for me to transition into that job. And that job and transition into a full-time software engineer role, also doing C and C++, which I had been learning partially on my own as well as in school. And so, you know, it was just that love and devotion to learning and continuing to learn different languages and applying it on the job. I was, one, it was luck. And two, it was just that commitment to learning and getting things done. Yes, part of it, like you said, it's luck, but it's also you had been interested in this, preparing for this. So when the opportunity came, you were ready for it. That's right. Yes. And the other important thing that I see here is this happens while you're studying, you get this reinforcement by seeing other people work at the startup that it's interesting that you like it, which shows again the value of work, getting a job while you're still in school. Yes. And honestly, I think that because I paid for my own schooling and I worked my way through school, it really drove home the value of education even more so to me because I was paying for my own education. And I see that actually with our own Roblox developers. We have developers on the Roblox platform who have made these amazing creations and they've used the money that they have earned on the Roblox platform to actually put themselves through college. And I have a deep respect and appreciation for that and you know just seeing them continue to work on their games but also continue to go to school I think it's fantastic and I, I just love seeing that and hearing their stories let's talk about Roblox now I want to mention first what we talked about earlier when you were just using a computer it was a very isolated environment no internet and Roblox is exactly the opposite of that it's the world's largest social platform for play and people can also create games can you explain a bit about what Roblox is doing. Oh, sure. So Roblox is the most popular platform for kids and teens in the world. And, you know, with 70 million active users on the platform on a monthly basis and continuing to grow, and we have over 4 million creators making things every day on the platform. And part of that, you know, the robustness of the platform and all these creations that are there is one, the platform is free to use. Our developer tools are free to use. And, you know, we give free and open access to all of our technical content in our developer hub. And we're also continuing to push on the education front too and offering curriculum to educators out in the world who actually have been asking us for content. So it's been really a delightful experience to be able to support 
support that, to come here and see that we have such young emerging developers and creators on the platform who are so passionate. And I see a lot of myself and my desire to self-teach and, and to learn. I see a lot of that sort of bootstrapping, you know, really driving to build something on their own sort of, you know, motivation and high energy in this community, which is so awesome to see. And then I also love that educators are really listening to the feedback on what students want to do in their after school or summer camps. And so that demand was really you know, awesome to see and be able to fulfill uh, for the first time this year with the curriculum that we launched earlier this year as part of our educational initiatives. And, you know, this summer we also partnered with Jurassic World and they offered us some IP where we had their dinosaur blue in one of our templates that we created specifically for this education campaign. And we offered that online for three months in the summer, completely free alongside, you know, self-help curriculum to build your first Roblox game. And part of what we were trying to do there was to, one, demystify coding for anyone, anyone of any skill level coming in. And two, we know that, you know, summer camps are expensive. Not everyone can afford to do that. We wanted to make sure that we could really have the ability to provide access to anyone who wanted to learn, no matter what their background. And because, you know, coding is going to become a critical skill going into the future. And we want to be able to enable that for everyone. You mentioned there's two components. You can play a game component and also you can build a game. Can you talk about an example of a game in the platform? Just to illustrate the capabilities and what people can use or what people can play, what kind of games there are. We have such a wide variety of games that are available on the platform. And the games that I play are often the games that my kids are playing. I like to play with them. It's a very social platform. And so that's what keeps it super engaging. It's, it's literally that virtual playground where they can invite me to play, but they're inviting their friends or cousins to play alongside them. And so that's what keeps it a really an interesting and fun place to play as sort of that virtual playground. So you can do things, anything like, you know, pretending that you're actually working at a pizza restaurant. Uh, so that's a very popular game on the platform. And, you know, bake their baking games. You can, you know, pretend to be a baker and go through the entire set of motions of, you know, baking something and delivering some cake to customer. There are also these set of digging games where you're digging sand or digging to get gems or certain rocks, which As a kid, I can completely see why this is interesting, even in a virtual way, because my kids in real life, you know, they also like to dig sand and dig dirt and, you know, find what's in the soil. <laughs> so in doing that in a virtual way, at least is a little bit cleaner when it comes to being a parent. So I kind of like that. <laughs> but there are there's such a wide variety. There are cops and robbers games, there are cowboy games, there are pirate games. So, I mean, it's virtually, you know, limitless what you can build on the platform. And I would say that what's great is that this is something that as someone as young as eight or nine can build an incredible experience experience. I had uh, my kids building games this past summer and my 12 year old came to me and said, Hey, you know, mommy, mommy, I really want you to check out my Obby. She was really proud of what she built. Sorry, Obby is a term that we use often in Roblox. That means obstacle course. She built this obstacle course that was so hard for me to get through. She was really proud that I could barely finish this game because, you know, obviously she wanted it to be challenging and she made it challenging enough to so that we could have some fun and laugh at the fact that I was barely surviving this obstacle course. But it was great because 
you know, one was she was able to rapidly build a visually compelling environment. And two was to add that coding and scripting and to, for her to have that gratification of that moment of completing something that someone else was using and playing. That's kind of what is part of the magic of our platform is that that ease of building, publishing something and having someone else play it. There's millions of players that are there on the platform every month. And to be able to, you know, reach out to your friend and say, hey, check out my game. I think it's so awesome. It gives you that level of, again, back to tennis, that tennis metaphor, which is that confidence in competing, that confidence in doing something that gives you that level of accomplishment. It's a wonderful thing. I think it's so reinforcing, especially since, you know, there's a little bit of this mysticism with coding that it's so scary for kids. But once you get over that hurdle and you give them something really engaging and fun to do that they can really relate to, like gaming, I think that really brings that barrier down so quickly. And I think that that's one of the things I'm so proud of with the Roblox platform. Exactly. You can get them interested first by playing existing games and then throw out the idea. What if you make it about you know, your story or if you have a cat, you can make a game inspired by that. So they both use the games and they learn by what other people are doing and, and then they make their own. That's right. The vast majority of our creators are actually from our player community. That's also something I'm really proud of. And our player community, especially here in the U.S., is reaching 50-50 girls to boys. And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to having even more creators on the platform who really represent the diversity of our player base, which I think is really an awesome thing. Can you talk about the tooling that is used to create games? What does this look like? Sure. So we have a tool called Roblox Studio, which is free to download and use. And it gives you access to a toolbox where you can, many of our developers have said one of the ways that they learned how to code and to build on the Roblox platform was using our toolbox and the many free models that are available there from both Roblox as well as the community at large. And those models, they're, they're cars that actually do something. They are you know, campfires that actually simulate fire. There are all sorts of different elements or trees, houses, pirate ships. And so you can start with something very visual and then break it down. So many of us who are self-taught programmers, myself included, start with some sort of you know, script or code that you look at, analyze and tweak a little bit to get that understanding of if I change this one thing, what's going to happen with this? And it sort of inspires you to continue doing that. And then at some point you go, oh, I can actually build this whole thing on my own. So people, you know, everyone starts a little bit differently, but many of our top creators on the platform have said, hey, they started with those breaking down those free models, understand what they do and then building on their own. So I think it's, it's, it's a lovely way to learn and very easy to access very very visual environment uh, that has both the code editor as well as, you know, visual elements that you can manipulate. And that's actually very realistic to a software engineering role where you jump in a team and there's an existing code base and you're like, let's see how this works and how do I change it, make it do this other thing or take an existing algorithm and tweak it. So I think that's pretty cool because those are real skills and we don't do everything from scratch as an individual. You build on things other people did and you wire them up together and things like that. That's right. And I, I think the benefit of starting with something like Roblox 
is that you start with something very visually compelling to especially that young creator. And so it's less abstract. If you're starting with strictly just code, it's a little harder to relate to it. But if you're starting with something that is, let's say, a floating cloud and you want to turn it pink and you can visually immediately see it turned pink. Wow. Okay. I made an impactful change. It's visually, you know, stimulating for you versus if you're just the typical hello world exercise. Okay. It said, hello, Grace. That's great. <laughs> it's not as fun. So, you know, the fact that we have, you know, this 3D element to our development process makes it so much richer for creators on the platform. In terms of creating the game, you mentioned a script. What kind of language are they using to program these games? So they're using a scripting language called Lua. And we intentionally picked this because we wanted it to be a low barrier to entry. And we found as we launched our education initiatives, uh, we're actually filling a big gap where kids are starting in programming today, where, you know, in, when they're six, seven, eight years old, they may be starting with this block style coding called Scratch. There are similar things to Scratch. And that's good for a while, but kids often will lose interest because there's only a certain number of things you can do with a block style you know, coding platform. And then suddenly the classes that were offered after that were suddenly Java programming <laughs> to do modding and you know, environments like Minecraft or other platforms. And that's a big leap to go from, you know, block style coding to an object-oriented programming language. So this scripting language that also is in a visual environment really bridges that gap really nicely and gives them the richness of completing a full game that they can build and, and not just a, a, a module or plugin, but like a full experience that they can share with their friends. Exactly. You oversee the creative community that consists of about 1.7 million developers. Oh, it's actually, so that was when I started. When I started, it was about 1.3 million developers. How big is it now? It's well over 4 million creators on the platform. So it's had massive growth since I've been here. Okay, so you're overseeing this 4 million developers community and you're advising these creators through various stages of the development process. Can you talk about what these stages are? So... I have a, an organization that really looks at how we holistically help developers through the funnel. So we know many of them start in their early stages just you know trying it out. They're not sure they want to become a creator. So we have to generate that level of excitement and inspiration for them that you too can become a creator. The barrier of entry is not that high. And so part of that is through our education initiative, giving self-help content, uh, creating curriculum for educators to really be able to provide a, a couple of different options for uh, those learners, whether it's in a formal environment like a after school or summer camp, or it's self-help learning online. And the second is we do have uh, one of our most well-known programs, which is on site is the accelerator and incubator programs. And this is for our sort of top end developers and creators on the platform who've shown some level of traction already with their games. And so we're really looking to work with those, that group of people to really accelerate their success and, and really refining their creations and, and, and creating a level of engagement and retention in, the, in their game and making sure that they're getting a lot of feedback and understanding how to really manage project holistically from beginning to end. And in the middle, we have 
sort of those up and coming developers that are starting to just populate up in the platform. We run things like featuring programs where we see those new up and coming developers and we give them, we highlight them on the platform by putting them on the featured sort and helping them with some coaching and guidance along the way around what else they can do to improve their game. And also after they've been taken off the featuring program, what they can do to retain the players they gain while they were featured at that time. So we, we actually run a wide variety of programs, everything from beginner to advanced developers. Your VP of developer relations, what is the main goal of developer relations? Our main goal is really about enabling and accelerating the success of the creators on the platform. And, you know, ultimately for us, the true success of that is the outcome of those games being a diverse, compelling set of offerings on the platform. And so, you know, for us, that's always a proud moment when, you know, the games that we're, you know, directly involved with and in, in coaching and helping some of these developers and seeing them percolate up to the top, that gives us that wow moment as a team as, wow, look at, we're so, you know, we're very proud of the developers and creators that we work with, especially directly. But anytime we see a game percolate up to the top, we know that in some way they're using either our, our developer hub and the technical content that we publish there, some of our self-help tutorials, they may have gone through one of our educational programs, or they've gone through our accelerator incubator programs. And that's always a wonderful thing for us to see is new successes on the platform. We're looking for new creators and percolating up to the top. The community is very big, 4 million. And you mentioned there's different ways of interacting with them directly. I guess the incubator program is another way. What are some of the ways in which this interaction with the developer is managed? Yeah, so with 4 million plus creators on the platform, you have to really think about scale. How do you scale your reach and impact to such a large group of developers? And so for us in our community team, we look at how does the community help itself and nurture itself? We have such a passionate community of developers and creators. One is, you know, we offer a developer forum and that's an area where, you know, people ask questions, they get updates about releases, but they also help each other out. And, you know, being there to actively nurture and make sure that we have champions in the community speaking up and helping out because we can't just keep hiring, hiring, hiring. And we have a relatively small team when you compare it to that 4 million number. So it is about, you know, nurturing a healthy and active community that also self-helps and nurtures itself. We obviously are actively involved in there, but there's only so much we can do as a small team. So it really is about activating those champions of the community as well to get that scale. How do you gather feedback from the community? Ah, so we do that in a number of different ways. We actively do that in our incubator and accelerator programs. They actually post uh, Jira tickets for us on a regular basis internally. And then we also call the developer forums on our very regular basis, as well as Twitter for feedback. And we synthesize that feedback and we also shepherd that feedback into our uh, Jira system. And beyond that, we are also actively always advocating for developers internally. So my entire organization sees that level of responsibility of really voicing those concerns and asks and feedback from the developer community to the product and engineering organization on a very ongoing, regular basis. Well, Grace, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been great talking to you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out. Thank you.